Good morning, saints. Well, now listen, I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable this soon in the service. Uh, Let's try that again. Good morning, sinners. Is that better? (laughs) All right. All right. Um, I got to tell you a little about a businessman I know. I'm going to call him Warren. Over the years as a pastor, I've heard people tell lots of rather unusual stories, and his is one of the more memorable. Warren told me one day that he comes from a a long line of natural-born haters. For example, his grandparents, he said his grandmother would do something or say something that infuriated his grandfather, and he wouldn't talk to her for six weeks or longer. Not a word directly. He'd talk through the kids. Tell your mother this. Tell your mother that. Isn't that cruel? Well, anyhow, Warren came by quite naturally the same affliction. And one day, his pastor got crosswise with him. He'd come to church. He told me he did this for, for months. He'd come to church, and he'd sit there with his family beside him, looking very saintly. And the pastor would just get into the sermon good, and Warren would start thinking all the mean, nasty, horrid things he could think of. He said his family would never forgive anybody. They'd go to their grave hating you. Isn't that something? Well, anyhow, he'd start beaming, mentally beaming up to that pastor. I hate you, you whitewashed hypocrite. And he said every single time the pastor would stop and launch into a tirade about the backstabbing people in this church. And then he'd quit, and he'd sit back with a self-satisfied smirk. Look what I did to you. He didn't know, did he? Well, usually he said either two or three times every Sabbath he was sitting there, he'd do that. And every single time the pastor would erupt in a tirade. The Lord looked down at that poor sinner and he said, I think Warren's had enough of that. Let's take care of that. And he arranged for him to go to a seminar dealing with the topic of forgiveness. Well, he told me this. He said, John, one of the things that works very well is if you take a piece of notebook paper. You know what that stuff is, right? The kind with the lines and the three holes. (laughs) I don't know that you want to keep this, but anyhow, he said, you write the name of a person who's offended you that's hurt you or whatever, then after their name, you write down what it was they said or did or didn't. And then, you know what you write after that? I forgive you for this. Now, sometimes we're tempted to think of forgiveness as what? Do you catch the title? As stuffing it. I'm I'm denying the hurt. It didn't really happen. I'm not hurt. Yet you are. Forgiveness is far more than that. It is, number one, surrendering our claim for damages. Does that make sense? Let me say that again. 
Forgiveness is, number one, surrendering our claim to damages. And number two, it is saying, Lord, you handle this your way in your time. What did I just say? (laughs) Two, Lord, you handle this in your time and in your way. And you take your hands off it, and you know what? You're free of it. Well, at the time, Warren told me that I didn't know how quickly I would need to know that. Now, let me tell you about a little about the church I grew up in. 80% or more of all churches across North America tend to be about 50 members or less. So you're one of the unusually larger churches. Well, this little church had about 30 some people that usually were there. I remember that little thing on the wall, number on the roll, 52. It was 52 for years. <laughs> now, like in a small town, a small church, you can't hide very well, can you? Everybody knows everybody, and sometimes, unfortunately, they knew too much about each other, all their business, this kind of thing. Well, I grew up about a block from the only bar in town. And I come here from serving the Watertown Church, and that's in the Guinness Book of Records for having more bars than any other community in the country. And you go to every corner, there's one or two or three right there. I don't know if there are some with four, but I would guess there would be. Anyhow, I, I used to go by the door about a block away. I used to go and look at the door, and the sign on it said, you must be 21. And I'd stop and I'd look at that and I'd think, hmm, I know what I'm going to do when I turn 21. I never did. (laughs) But I used to think, one, one Sabbath morning, I was in church, Sabbath school class, and I was thinking about that sign on the door when suddenly I heard the teacher read Luke 4.16. You know the text? He came, Luke, what is it? 4.16. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, went into the synagogue when? On the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And for me, that was a jaw-dropper, I thought. Wow, Jesus kept the Sabbath. They took it out of the area of churches arguing with each other as to when you ought to go. Jesus kept the Sabbath. I thought, boy, you ever get religion together in your life, that's what you're going to do. Guess what? I did and I do. (laughs) And I notice you're here today, and I'm glad you are. Well, I became a Seventh-day Adventist pastor, and Seventh-day Adventist pastors not only practice keeping the Sabbath in our personal lives, what else do we do with it? We teach it, and we preach it, so that others can get in on the blessings as well. There's some tremendous blessings associated with this day that God has put in it. You won't find any other time. Well, 
every time, and this was true month after month, every time I thought about the Sabbath coming, I had a sense of dread. Well, about a week after Warren told me that about that notebook thing, what was it you do? Whoops! What was it that you do with it? You first put the person's name. Then what do you put? What it? Whatever it is, and then behind that, what do you write? I forgive you for this. About a week later, I was home visiting my parents for a couple of days, and Friday morning. I went out, get some exercise. I was running along, and it was heavy overcast and heavy mist. Not real rain, but just real heavy mist. And I'm enjoying it. And then I get to thinking about tomorrow, you're going to be back in that little church. And all of a sudden, the thought of Sabbath coming just hit me with an overwhelming sense of nausea and dread to the point where I actually stopped moving. And I stood there looking up through that overcast and mist, and I talked to the Lord. I said, Lord, no question the Sabbath is right biblically. I've read it there, Luke 4, 16, still in the Bible. It's what Jesus kept, and that's why I'm going to go tomorrow. But I have such a negative, I don't understand why do I feel so negative about the Sabbath? You know, like there was a, a tree in the garden that was a test. The day is going to be the last test for those of us living at the end. You know, when the devil puts the screws on me, he's not going to have any trouble convincing me to go to Sunday. Lord, why do I feel this way? Back to that little church. Uh, again, in little churches, everybody knows each other pretty well, right? Well, we had one of the members that was acting as Sabbath school superintendent. Now, she got it in her thinking that everybody's going to be here on time. Now, we lived about three, four blocks from the church. But do you think we were there on time? Never. We're almost always the last family to come through the door. One morning we came in late as ever, and there was a sign hanging on the doorknob that said, You are late. My father took a look at that and plucked it daintily off the doorknob and disappeared with it downstairs. Well, after church, guess who wanted her sign back? And guess who she came to? <laughs> she, she, she knew my father. She said, Bob, where's my sign? He said, that's for me to know and you to find out. Bob, that's my sign. I want it back. And they were nose to nose, neither a very happy camper at that point. <laughs> that ever happened in church still? <laughs> I suspect it does. Anyhow, they, they went back. Finally, he looked at her and said, on one condition, what? that I never see it again. And she just was struggling and wrestling, and finally she said, oh, all right. <laughs> so he went down, came back with it, and we never did see it again. Well, during that era of you must be there on time, I was actually in church, Sabbath school, on time one morning. 
And after the program had started and our dear lady of the clock was holding forth in front and the door opened in the back. And I thought, who would dare come in late today? And I looked anymore at all who it was, but as I started to look forward, I noticed on the other side of the church, one of the members crane their neck around. Ever the saying, if looks could kill? The most nastiest look. I don't know if that's an appropriate term for church, but oh, just a horrible look at this person. And as I'm standing, and this reminded me of that incident, I'd forgotten it a hundred years earlier, but there it was like it happened yesterday. And it suddenly hit me, John. And I remembered at that moment what Warren had told me about this, I forgive you, or I don't. But I said it, I forgive you for this. You know what happened next? Like a fire hydrant gushing water for about 20 minutes. Memory after memory after memory of incident after incident. I had forgotten, but they'd all happened when I was a kid. And each time I said, I forgive you for this. I forgive. I almost couldn't say it fast enough. And all of a sudden, after 20 minutes of that torrent, it was over. Church, I realized something. My problem was not with the Sabbath. What was it with? That was the day and the place I went where all the hostility was. Isn't that something? My problem was with the attitude of people having a difficult time with each other. Now, anybody here remember the date this church came into existence? Somebody kindly sent me an email with the the history of the church. I enjoyed reading that. It came into existence, I think, April 21, 1999. Anybody ring a bell? Anybody here then? April 21, 1999. That's a little over 14 years ago, right? Now, what do you think? Looking back, 14 years Have there any offenses happened here? You know, this is more serious than we might think. I don't mean to be excessively lighthearted about this, but I want you to uh, I want you to go to Matthew six. Will you do that? Uh, it's the Sermon on the Mount. And you know, in the Sermon on the Mount are a lot of phenomenal things Jesus said. One of them we call the what? The Lord's Prayer. I think, church, that's a misnomer. Who is supposed to pray it anyway? We are. Why don't we call it the Disciples' Prayer? I think that makes sense to me. Well, anyhow... Even if you don't have a Bible right in your lap, I think you know this. We're going to do the debts version rather than the trespasses version. Our Father, say it with me, who art in heaven, hallowed be 
Thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is. You know what? We really need to pray this. Now just say it out loud. Shall we fold our hands, close our eyes, bow our heads, and let's try that again. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And would you say amen to that? Yes. Now, what was it Jesus said in there about forgiveness? It's not a very long prayer, is it? But he included forgiveness. Why do you think he did? I think it's because we needed it very, very badly. Did you notice the next two verses, however, verses 14 and 15? He said this, If you forgive others their trespasses, what's going to happen? Your heavenly Father will also forgive you But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. Now, wait a minute. Hold on here. What is God telling us about himself here? You do what I tell you or you're not going to make it happen. You forgive or else? Well, It sounds like that's what he's saying, but is that the kind of God we are serving and praying to? I really don't think so. Sometimes it's hard to get past customary traditional usage of texts to the real meaning of them. Listen, what does 1 John 1, 9 say? If we confess our sins, what? He's faithful, he's just to... Forgive us our sins and what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's taking the black marks off Margie's page for that day, isn't it? Yes, he's, he's wonderful. Exodus 34, 7. Can you find that? Moses, Moses is with the people in the, the wilderness. And he is talking to God, and he's saying, Lord, I'd like to see you. I wish you'd show me your glory. And the Lord said, well, you can't see me and live, but I'll tell you what, I'll put you in a cleft of the rock, and I'll put my hand over you, and when I pass, you can see my back parts, but you can't see my my face. You couldn't and survive. And so chapter 34 and verse 7 Well, verse 6, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands. And then what does it say? 
forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin who will by no means clear the guilty and so on. Forgiveness, that it, it comes from one of two Hebrew words. One is NASA, just like National Aeronautic and Space Administration, NASA, NASA. And it means a taking away. You know, the Lord takes people's sins away. And when he does, you can't find them. Uh, a fellow in Battle Creek, Buddy Hotaling, is quite a musical dentist. And he, uh, by the way, he was part of a singing group called the Holy Molars. Good humor there. Well, he wrote a song about, you know, your sins are cast to the bottom of the sea, so quit your deep sea diving. Leave those sins on the ocean floor. Don't go down and try to get them up. Well, anyhow, when the Lord, he, he takes our sins away. It's so characteristic of him that is looked at in the Bible as part of his very nature. Now, you may be sitting here this morning, one of our guests, I don't know, um, and you may be conscious of some of the things in your life and you think they're too terrible. I can't say them to anybody, not even, especially him, because he's pure and holy. You know what? Does he know, already know about them? Oh, yes. He knows all about that. And what's his attitude towards you? He's already forgiven you. He'd love to tell you, just waiting to hear from you. It is his first nature, not second it's his first nature to forgive us. That's just the way he is. And he's not saying, I'm going to hold this over your head for six weeks and not talk to you till I get my pound of flesh. And then, oh boy, that's not the way the Lord is. Now, Israel got to the borders of Canaan and they rebelled. We're not going to go in there and get smeshed. Eh. And then the Lord appeared to them, and then they realized this is terrible. And after they had rebelled, Moses went to the Lord, and he reminded him not of the people's sin, but he reminded him of his character and what he had shown him that day. By the way, he didn't try to look at the backside of God. He bowed in worship, which is a very good response. He reminded him of this. This is in Numbers 14, 18. He said, Lord, you are slow to anger. Aren't you abounding in steadfast love? Don't you forgive iniquity and transgression? And then in Micah 7, 18. You may want to write this down, all right? Micah 7, 18. Let's see if I can find it quickly. Yeah. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. Oh, boy. Here we are. Micah 7. I'm still trying to learn the order of the minor prophets. One of these days I will do that. Right at the end of the book. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and for transgression. For the remnant of his inheritance. He, and this prophet knows steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. That's just the way God is. Amen? You're already forgiven. 
Why hang on to your sin any longer? All we need to do, by the way, Moses, when he approached the Lord with his horrible sin, again, he didn't approach the Lord with an account of the sin. He approached the Lord with the account of his character. And you find this in Daniel chapter 9, the first half of the chapter, his prayer. He said, Lord, to us is confusion of face, but to you is righteousness. Try this. When you get on your knees to pray, you can look up and say, Lord, I'm a sinner, but you know what? You are a great Savior. You're a great God. You love people. You forgive them. You gave your son to forgive us. I claim that forgiveness. Go to him on the basis of his righteousness because we don't have any. Somebody asked Elder HMS Richards Sr. one time, Brother Richards, what do you think of righteousness by faith? Well, he said it's the only kind there is. He was right. Uh, there's a story in the New Testament. Alex Bryant preached on it the first Friday night at camp meeting. All right, who was there? Camp meeting. Raise your hand. Okay. Some of you didn't make it. Anyhow, it's out of the book of Luke chapter 15. In that chapter, there are three stories about lost things. And one of those stories we call the parable of the prodigal son. You know the story, right? This young kid, smart aleck, whippersnapper, he comes to daddy-o, and he says, Dad, I want my inheritance now. Well, I'm young enough to enjoy it. Do something with it. You sure you want to do that? Yes, yes, yes. We might call him an indulgent father, but he, he split it up. He said, here you go. And he said, ha, ha. A couple days later, he takes off. And it isn't too much longer what happened. It's squandered. Every last shekel is squandered. Gone. History. And he's so starving, hungry, he doesn't know what to do with himself. The stuff he's feeding the hogs, the slop, looks good. He must have been pretty hungry, don't you think? (laughs) And he gets to thinking, you know, my father's servants, why don't I go home and tell him I'm sorry and ask him to hire me as a servant? I think he could use one more. And so he's dragging home now the picture of the father is he's like he's rocking on the chair on the front porch. And every time he rocks forward, he looks down the road. What's he looking for? He's looking for that boy. And he's, his heart is a prayer. Oh, Father God, bring him home. Bring him home. One day. It's him. It's him. Servants, come on. He could recognize the walk. Have you ever been that? You're in bed and the door opens in, somebody comes, and you don't have to wonder who it is. You can tell by the way they walk, right? He could tell his son. That was his son. Son gets home, and he starts fumbling out, and father won't listen. Why? My son was dead. He's home. He's alive. Hallelujah. Hooray. Fiesta. They get to the house, and big brother, who's out in the field working like a dutiful son, 
Tell me this, folks. This is another misnomer. How many prodigals did that father actually have? It's just the older never left home, did he? He won't come in. Father goes out, son, you never even given me so much as a goat. Celebrate with my friends and this son of yours. Is that the attitude he had? Talk about an offense. Ooh, you ruined the family name. You this, you that. And the father appeals to that son. Now, it's left right there. We don't know what that older son did. Did he go in or didn't he? Don't know. The misnomer with this is not just prodigal son, prodigal sons, plural, but it's not really about the boys. Who is this, pro, this story of the prodigal about? The father. The minute that young son shows up back in his presence, what does he do with him? Quick, bring the best robe. Get that ring. You know, put nice sandals on his feet. You know, cover up the mess. And that's what Jesus does with us, with his righteousness, isn't it? He covers us. This is a parable of the father of the prodigal sons. Does that make more sense? It does to me, folks. It does. There was no holding it out. I won't speak to you for six months. And then when you get yourself straightened around and cleaned up and smell a little better, then we're going to talk and we'll straighten it. None of that was there. Did the boy have to be told he was forgiven? When you have a father like that, you just know it. And I want you to know it. You're forgiven. But what we need to do is forgive each other. So I wish what you do, church, is take out a piece of paper and write down whatever the Spirit reminds you of as you need to. What's the first thing you write down on the line? The name. What's the second thing you write behind the name? Whatever it is. And then the most important part, I forgive you for this. Back to Warren for just a minute. He told me, he decided he finally, well, the pastor had retired and gone somewhere else. and He he knew where he was. And he decided one day he had to call him and tell him, I forgive you. And he said, John, when he answered, he said, well, Warren, how are you? And he said, well, I'm calling you, Pastor, to tell you I forgive you. And he said, that guy, and Warren at that point was ready to punch him in the nose again. He said, well, what did I do? I haven't done anything I need to be forgiven for. What's your problem, Warren? He said, John, I was lost, but I hung on to it, you know, and but he said, when I picked up that receiver, it weighed two tons. Can you relate to that? Sometimes what needs to be done is so hard. Hard maybe, but necessary, yes, right? 
Now, in closing, every three months or so, what does the church do by way of services? We have communion, right? The Lord's Supper. And after the foot washing, that's in John 13, but after the foot washing at a table, you have stacks of plates of bread, no yeast, right? And then you have containers of cups with wine, but it's unfermented wine. And I'm glad for that, by the way. I listened to a judge in Milwaukee tell a young Seventh-day Adventist fellow who made some bad choices, he said, when you got out of here, I don't want to hear you even using wine in the communion service, young man. He said, yes, Your Honor. <laughs> so I'm glad it's unfermented. And we take that, what, what did they represent? The bread represents Jesus' body that was broken for us, right? What does the cup represent? His blood that was spilled or shed for us. Crushed. That's how you get grape juice. You crush the grape, right? And we accept those and our acceptance, we are saying by our actions, Lord, I am receiving your gracious salvation. Would you at that point say you're forgiven? You see, that bread and that cup are there because of sin, right? Do you have to die for your sins? No. They're died for. They're already paid. But as you and I accept what Jesus did, we're accepting it for sin. Just ours? or the sins of the whole world, including those sins committed against us. Do you get the point? When we go to communion, when we accept Jesus dying, it isn't just for little old me. It is for the things you have committed against me, not just what I've done to you. It's for How can we then accept Jesus' death and refuse forgiveness of another. Again, would you take that notebook paper (laughs) and write down, what's the first thing you write down? Your name, then the what, and then what did you put at the end? I forgive you for this. There's a text I skipped over it. Let's see if I can find it. I think it's out of the book of Romans, but this is not the latest version of this sermon on this thing. I couldn't get it on this morning, so I bet when I get home, it'll be there. (laughs) That's iCloud for you, by the way. Anyhow, Paul, writing for the Lord, talks about forgiveness, and he says, don't be overcome with evil. Overcome evil with good. Now, you think about it. This is the thought I want to leave you with. Isn't 
it when you and I refuse to forgive that we have been overcome by evil? Really? In the book of Isaiah, the Lord says, my ways are higher than your ways. You've read that text? Just before that, he talks about what he does with sinners. He says, I pardon their iniquities. I want you to leave today knowing you are pardoned by the blood of the Lamb. You're forgiven. And then I want you to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and extend that pardon to everybody you need to. We do that. Anybody, will you do that? Let me say a quick prayer for you, and then we're going to sing. Father in heaven, it's like you can't live in this world very long without either being hurt or unintentionally or maybe sometimes intentionally hurting someone else. Thank you that we can be forgiven, all of us in Jesus. And I pray for this dear, dear congregation of people, Lord. You love this church so much. I pray that you'll grace them with your power to forgive each other whatever needs to be, that they'll take care of this and they'll take care of it quickly so that real harmony and love will transcend human nature. Lord, help us be like you. You are a forgiver from the word go. We want to be like that as well. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Through the blood of the eternal covenant, brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.